Hello, that's Sarah. That's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. Okay. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, and there's orange zest in this, and I. Okay, so this is delicious. Ryan has. Um, ooh. Okay, uh, Emily, you're gonna read the recipe of the cocktail. Oh, that yeah. do you want to guess what else kind of alcohol, alcohol is? Is it whiskey? Mm-hmm. Is it rum? Yeah. Oh, okay, it's rum. So what okay, are we so drinking? This is called the spiced. The spiced rum, old fashioned. Hmm. So this has four shots of aged rum, two cubes of cane sugar, okay, ten dashes of aromatic bitters. Dashes, you say? I know. Two cloves, one stick of cinnamon, cinnamon, of synonyms, synonyms, and two strips of orange zest. It smells like I want a home on Christmas Day to smell. Yeah, it's so good. This is gonna. This is gonna, gonna get F me. us up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, producer Ryan. Okay, so Incredible. tell me that story that you were gonna tell me. Wait, what was the story I was gonna tell about you? About the the voicemail, the nickname that oh, Ms. Mr. Oh, Pacheco okay. called you on so the voicemail. This is how we know that we're real podcasters, is because today when I was <laughs> hanging out with Ryan and Emily, I went to tell them a story, and Ryan goes, No, wait till we're recording. Save it for the recording. So I got a voicemail today from our friend Elias. And I was really confused because he was calling me from his work number. And I was playing this voicemail where he addresses me as Dove of Morning Light, um, which Emily was like, wait, what's that story? So the story is that when I was a child, uh, my dad's dad and stepmom would have the four oldest grandkids for a week every summer. We called it Grandparents Week. And now I'm fully aware of the culturally appropriative, like, elements to this story but as a child I was not um so we would go out into the central Oregon wilderness and my grandparents had friends who had like owned acres in the wilderness and had a legit teepee that we would sleep uh-huh. in which was awesome that's so cool um but the culturally appropriative part was that we would pick Indian names mm-hmm. for the week and mine because I was a weird weird child was dove of morning light nice. and I think how Elias knows that is because at my senior prom, um, the way that my weird tiny private school worked was because, you know, there was all of like 40 of us uh-huh. at prom that the senior, the parents of seniors would be contacted before prom to like submit an acute or somewhat embarrassing story oh about God. the senior. And like while we were eating dinner, um, the, our gu- guidance counselor would read those stories and everyone had to guess who it was about. And at my prom, like all the stories were... <laughs> Ryan knows the story he's laughing. All the stories were like cute. They were like, oh, out of the mouths of babes or like kids say the darndest things. My parents just went hard (laughs) with their submission and they told the story of how as a child, 
at first it wasn't bad. It was like this senior used to spend a week with her grandparents where they picked Indian names. It was like Dove of Morning Light. Okay, that's embarrassing and now further embarrassing for other reasons. But then they proceeded to be like, and this senior, and I was like, oh God, it keeps going. Um, this senior used to skinny dip with her cousins. And I was just like, oh. And so um, the DJ at our prom proceeded to make shout outs to Dove of Morning Light. <laughs> <laughs> and also my prom was at the Japanese gardens in Portland. And so there's a lot of water around mm -hmm. and they were like, don't get any ideas. Dove of morning light. <laughs> so thanks mom and dad. Um, so yeah, that's Dove what, that's what we needed light. to say for recording. That's so funny. Do you remember what Kate's was? Kate didn't go to my same high school. No, Kate's Indian name. Oh, it was brave bird because mm -hmm. Kate's nickname actually her whole life has been bird or birdie yeah. like people on both sides of the family call her that um and Kate was also a small child and was very afraid of dogs most of her childhood and that was the summer she overcame that fear Cute. but also Kate was incredibly small and so the dogs were basically bigger than yeah. her until the age of 12 um Brave but yeah bird. yeah I skinny dipped in the central Oregon wilderness what about it I was a, it was prepubescent you know? Nice. Yeah. So it wasn't like weird or it anything. It wasn't weird. I was basically a Barbie doll. Yeah. It was. <laughs> and Ken, really, not even yeah, Barbie. Yeah. So this is good. I'm glad this is being yeah. recorded. Awesome. Um, okay. So uh, true crime. True crime. Um, okay. Do you have any thoughts after having listened to our first handful of episodes? Have you listened to all of them yet? Not all of them. My voice is very annoying and I <laughs> apologize. Not. No, to I love your voice. I have just really bad California, like I talk like. Hey, this. I love it. I love it. All I can hear is my mother in the background saying, "Sarah, how many times are you saying like in a single <laughs> sentence?" Oh my god, like, you're officially a Californian. Honestly, I just hear her. What she used to do in high school was she would repeat my sentences back to me, but without like. Like she was, <laughs> she was correcting me, and that's all I can hear when I listen to oh my episode. gosh. Okay. Sometimes, like, what else are you supposed to say if you're comparing two things? I know, but it's not. It's not just that where I'm using the word. So I'm going to try and be very cognizant of that. Every time you say, like, I'm going to repeat the sentence. Are you going to hit it. me like Ryan did to yeah. move the microphone closer to my mouth? Yeah. Because we could also do that. Um, so let's tell each other some stories. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who's supposed to go I don't first. Either. Um, I don't think it matters, really. Do you want to go first? Sure. Before you get too drunk? Yeah, because this drink is, is going to hit you pretty hard. Okay, tell me a true crime story. Okay, so this is um, the nutso story that I got from the Netflix original called Abducted in Plain Sight. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. This is the batshit craziest I thing I've ever heard. Legitimately, like halfway through, was like, this is fake. You this think it's fake. It can't it's so be real. And it is and I so real. I had to Google if it was like a fake documentary or yeah. not. Because it's... Okay, I'll just... Okay, I'll, I'll, tell tell you, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Okay, so this... Most of this takes place in Pocatello, Idaho. Mm, Pocatello. I yes. hear it's lovely this time yeah, of year. Yeah, In uh, November. Mm -hmm. There might be snow. Um, and it's like a, there's a very huge Mormon population there. So the LDS church is up there. So 
there's like two families and it's really confusing because both dads are named Bob and both of their last names starts with B. So And they're both Mormon. And they're both Mormon. Okay, so Bob and Mary Ann Broberg have three daughters. They have Jan, Karen, and Susan. And then their like best family friend family is Bob Birchtold and his family. And we don't really need to know their okay. names. Um and so um, in June of 1972, Mary Ann um, meets Bob Birchtold at church. And she, like, feels bad for them because they're new. And so she's like, oh, you guys should come over and meet my family. They have, like, kids that are all the same age as their kids. Um, and they end up, like, becoming really close with them. And instead of calling Bob Birchtold Bob, they just call him B, which is, like, super weird. So... I mean, if you're trying to differentiate between the Bobs, I get it, but... So, it's weird, but I'm going to do it in this story. Please, go ahead. Bob Birchtold is now B, and Bob Broberg is Bob. So, if I say Bob, it's Jan's father. Roger that. Okay. So, in, like, the fall... Ryan just came bringing us ice ice. because... I don't think Ryan likes the cocktail. He was making kind of faces when he was drinking his. It's just really strong. And so he wants to water it down with ice. Because he gets us. Thank you, Ryan. Okay. So picking back up. Fall 1972. It's just a few months after they first meet B. Um, B seduces both parents. So he seduces both Bob and Mary Ann. So what he does is he kind of, he shows up at Mary Ann's work and just kind of starts like being really nice to her. And it kind of turns into flirting. Um, and like eventually they kiss, um, and then in seducing Bob, he like shows up to Bob's work one day and is like, my wife and I haven't had sex in so long. Like I've got a real problem and like manipulates him into giving him a hand job basically. Okay. And so you said this is 1972. Yeah. Okay. So he does it to kind of be able to blackmail them later. Okay. Um, so just keep those incidents in mind. Mm-hmm. And so then in January, like we're, we're skipping way ahead, January 1974. So it's been like a little over two years. So during this time, like um, B and Mary Ann are like kind of having a weird affair. Um, I don't think anything else ever happened with B and Bob, but he's, you know using Mary Ann and their families just hang out all the time. I think they're neighbors, but they definitely go to church together and they hang out all the time. So in January of 1974, um, their church, um, like sets him up with this like therapy program because he was having a relationship with a young girl, which is like super scary, but everybody seemed to downplay it. Weird, that doesn't sound like that could have been possible in 1974 or the year of our Lord, 2019. Right, hmm. yeah. Hmm. It's weird. Also, like, worth saying that predators are incredibly manipulative and exactly. strategic. And so if the story goes where I think it's going, of course he did those things with yep. those two married people to use to his advantage later. Exactly. Anyway, keep going. So the church is like, we're just going to give you, like, these therapy sessions instead. And so B says to the Brobergs, he's like, part of this therapy is that i have to like spend time with girls alone mm-hmm. is that what you have right? to do as mm-hmm. part of that therapy yeah, yeah, i'm yeah, sure yeah. Mm-hmm. so he tells them like i have to like be in the room with jan when she's sleeping yeah. and the brobergs are like yeah of course that like 
That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so for like six months, four nights of the week, he like lays in bed with Jan. <gasps> As she's sleeping, he says he has these tapes that are like his therapist saying like, girls are gross, blah, 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 whatever. But really it's these weird sex tapes that he has recorded. So, so he's molesting her? He's Yeah, he's basically molesting her, listening to these weird sex tapes that he's recorded of himself. Like, oh my gosh. It's weird. So this goes on for six months. And then in October of this year, of 1974, so not 2019, but this year in which we are discussing, B um, picks Jan up from piano with the permission of mom. So Mary Ann is like, yeah, you can pick her up from piano to take her horseback riding. Um, and so when he picks her up, he gives her an allergy pill because she's, he says, you have allergies. You should take this allergy pill because we're going out with the horses, whatever. She passes out probably wasn't really an allergy pill and so she wakes up and she's like strapped to the bed in this motorhome and there's this like intercom system thing set up and a voice starts talking and says we're aliens our names are zeta and zethra and you're half alien your mom is your real mom but your dad isn't your real dad your dad's an alien and like our planet is dying and we, you have been chosen to create the savior of our planet. And so you have to have a baby with your male companion. How old is Jan? She's 12. Okay. So she's like, Oh my gosh, like this is crazy. And it's, like exactly the story of Jesus. So she's like, wow, I'm like Mary, like I'm chosen to have a savior. This is incredible. And She's, you know, she's still like, this is weird, whatever. And so she like goes out into the motorhome to find out who her male companion is. And it's B. Of course it is. And so he's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what happened. Like I passed out. I woke up in this room and there were these aliens talking to me. And she's like, me too. And he's like, they said we have to have a baby. And she was like... Yeah, and he's like, do you know how you're supposed to have a baby? And she's like, yeah, I think so. And he, like, happened to have these books on, like, how babies are made. And he, like, gave her these books to read. And come on, Ryan. Stop making noises. Gosh. And so, like, I don't know how many days they're in there, but they eventually have sex. He assaults her. Exactly. They have, he rapes her. Right. Um, because, you know, he wanted to, but she's like, I need to have this alien baby. Cause the aliens had also said, like, if you don't have a baby before you're 16, then you were going to hurt your family and we're going to take your sister instead. Oh my gosh. Um, and so they are gone for a while and nobody knows where they are. And the Brobergs don't call the police because they're like, we don't want to like, you know, like rude to the birch told families yeah and they like feel bad for b's wife gail they're like we don't want like any bad attention on her and so they go missing on what did i say on the 17th they don't call the police until the 22nd of october so it's like five days after he's just supposed to pick her up. Yeah. From something from piano to go horseback something. riding yeah. for the day and bring her back like at dinner time. And so they finally call the police 
And the police like look for her, but they can't find anything. So it's not until November 20th that they hear something. And B calls his brother and says, okay, we'll come back if the Brobergs give permission for me to marry Jan. And they're like, no, she's 12. You're old. Also, he's married? He's also yeah, married. Yeah, married. Yeah. And so what had happened was they got married in Mexico. So they went down to Mexico and got married because the legal age of consenting to get married in Mexico at that time was 12. Oh. Okay. Which is nuts. Yeah. Also, they just were able to cross the border yeah. and come back in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. Well, they didn't come back. Oh. They are still in Mexico. Okay. So they're in Mexico when B calls his brother and says, we're only coming back if they let me marry her because we're already married. Um, and so the they like tell the FBI, like, hey, he's called. This is what he said. We said no. And the FBI is like, okay, let's tap your phones. And then when he calls again, we can we can track it. So he called again and said, like, we're really only coming back. And if you give up, give me permission to marry your 12 year old daughter, they're like, no. And the FBI are like, gotcha. So the FBI are able to track them to a hotel in Mexico and they go down there and they arrest them. And. Like, before they're extradited, B, like, goes to Jan and says, like, remember, you can't tell anybody about the aliens because they said if we tell anyone, they're going to, like, hurt our families. And so she's, like, scared because she, like, really believes this alien story because she's 12. Right. And And also, like, I get it in the sense of, I mean, you and I are both Christians and we believe yeah. things, but also I can see, so not to say that like Mormon stories are crazier right. than ours, yeah. but like there is this certain, like if you already believe something that is so outlandish yeah. and you're a tw- 12 and being manipulated by yeah. someone who's out to manipulate you. Yeah. I can see that. Happening. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, they come back, um, and the, Brobergs are like, well, we're going to press charges. This guy kidnapped our daughter. But B's wife, Gail, comes over and is like, if you press charges, then B is going to expose your affairs. <gasps> He's going to tell... The ev- wife? The wife, yeah. His, so B's wife, Gail, comes over and says... B wants me to tell you oh my that if you don't drop the charges, he's going to tell everybody about how Bob gave you a, a gave him a hand job and how you had an affair, Marianne. Wow. And so they're like, okay, we'll drop the charges. But the police are like, no, we're still <laughs> going to press the charges. That's no, not no. how it works. <laughs> and so um, they're like, Kind of still going forward with that, but, you know, the legal system, it takes a while. And so in the spring of 1975, B is out, but they're still, like, waiting to see what the charge is going to be. The rest of my story is on the computer, apparently. Please hold. Um, And so B and Marianne, like, pick their affair back up. So What? (laughs) So before... I forgot how many twists and turns this thing has. So before it was like, so Mary Ann, Jan's mom, and B, the bad guy, yeah, just like kissed and flirted a bunch. And then they like go on this trip, the Birchtolds and the Brobergs. So I don't know why the Brobergs are like still friends with them after. After they're pressing charges. Yeah. After they're 
Well, I guess they Friend. weren't pressing charges anymore. The FBI was. Yeah. And and when like when Jan and B came home, because Jan was so afraid of the aliens, she told them, like, no, we just like went on a trip, nothing happened. Mm. Um, even though they like knew that B wanted to marry her at some point. Like, I don't understand how she was like, Yeah, okay, I'll sleep with this man who stole my child. Right. Okay. So um, they pick their affair back up, and then in March, Bob finds out about the affair and is like, bye. He's like, he, t- he takes the daughters, he files for divorce, and is gone. And Mary Ann is like, no, I like really need my family. I'll do anything. Please come back. And he's like, you can't have contact with B ever again. And she's like, done. So at this time, B is like being out outcast ostracized from the church and everything so he moves to wyoming and so it's like things seem good they're like okay b is out of our lives so marianne moves back in and they don't get divorced um and bought and b is in wyoming and jan and him are still like writing letters back and forth oh because boy. she still believes in this alien thing right and so she's now in um 1976 She's 14. Right. And B ends up buying this like family fun center in Wyoming, which is like sketchy because like. What a great way to attract children to molest. Yep. And so in the summer, she really wants to go and work there. And she like begs her parents to let her go. And they're like, no, you can't. And finally, she's like, I'm going to go with or without your permission. And so they're like okay, we don't want you to run away, so we'll, like, buy you a ticket out there so that we know that you're safe. So they let her go for two weeks, um, and then she comes back. And at the same time that she's coming back, B accepts a plea deal for the kidnapping. So they finally, after, like, two years, have, like, come and found a solution for the time when B took Jan to Mexico. Right. And so the plea deal was that he would spend five years in jail and the judge reduces it to 45 days. Right. Because he's a dad and an upstanding white citizen and a member of the LDS church. And like, did I mean, did he really do anything wrong? No, no. Hmm. 1976. It's a simpler time. Yes. So that was June. Okay. And so he ends up only spending 10 days in jail. Sure. I mean, that feels like too much even. Right. Yeah. 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 So then I mean, in, who among us? Right. Has hasn't not kidnapped, kidnapped a friend's child. child. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So in August, um, Jan disappears again. So after the two week trip to Wyoming, after the two week trip to Wyoming. So she is just gone and like they can't find her in the morning one day. And then they find a note on her bed, and this is what it says. It says, Dear Bob and Mary Ann, you won't let me do what's right, so I'll do what's wrong. I'm leaving without B, and I do not plan on coming back until you accept me as me. I cannot accept your religion and your screwed up morals. I just want to be be me and have B. Please, before all of us are destroyed, let me go. So, like kind of weird because at one point she says I'm leaving without B and at the other point she says I want to have B. Right. So her parents are like we don't understand what's going on. And so um at this time like B is calling her parents and like I don't know where she is. I haven't heard from her um because they're like well she probably ran away to be with him. 
Um, but what had really happened was she did run away to go be with him and he took her to California and enrolled her in this Catholic girls school. Oh yeah. Uh. And she's told 14 now. 16 now. She's like 14 still. And so he tells like the people working there, like I'm a CIA agent and I'm a single dad. Her mom was killed um, because like people who were like after us, like found her. It seems likely. Yeah. So like we're, I'm putting her in here so I can go back to work. And like, we have to like be very careful if people come like looking for her, they're bad guys. So like, don't let them know she's here. Sure. So they're like, okay, we'll keep her safe. We're not going to ask you for any paperwork to verify your claims. Absolutely. Exactly. So this time the Brobergs wait two weeks before they report that she's gone. So she's second time. Yep. So, um, they report it to the FBI and the FBI are like trying to figure it out. But B is like, I don't know where she is. Um, and then contact B and he's like, yeah, I don't know where she is. Yeah. And he, I, th- I think at this time he's living in Salt Lake City. So he's not even in the same city as Jan. He's just like paying for her schooling and will like call her and I think visit her every once in a while. But it's not like if they tapped their phones that it would lead them to her. To where she was. Um, and so they, yeah, okay. So they tap, tap the phones and find Bob and he's in Salt Lake City. Um, and they question him, um, and he's like, I don't know where she is, but his motorhome is like full of pictures of her. And, um, they end up like letting him go so that they can like keep following him. And so they follow him to a payphone, and he had written a number on the payphone, like phone book in there. And it was the, the phone number to Jan's school. And so they call it and they find Jan there. And so they bring her back. Um, and she's back at home and around this same time, Bob Broberg's flower shop burns down and, um, it's burned down by two guys that Bob Birch told B hired to burn it down. But Jan thought it was the aliens punishing her because she is now like super brainwashed 14 and hasn't had a baby yet. So they're like, Hey, you've got two more years. Um, and so, um, like now it's like years. She's 16 now. So July 31st, 1978, she's starting to realize that the aliens might not be real because she's close to turning 16. So she's at like a summer drama camp and a boy there like buys her ice cream because he likes her and she like freaks out and thinks the aliens are going to punish her. And that same day her mom called and was like, oh, the dogs are acting really weird. Like they've been throwing up all day. And Jan is like, oh my gosh, it's because this boy likes me. The aliens are killing my pets. And then the next day her mom calls and says like, oh, the dogs were fine. I think their food was just bad or something. And she's kind of like, oh, okay, maybe the aliens weren't punishing me. And then the day she realizes that the aliens aren't real is she wakes up on her 16th birthday and everything's fine. And she's like, okay, aliens weren't real. So she tells her family, um, she tells her sisters. And at first they're like, what are you like? This is nuts. This is crazy. And 
then they're like, you should probably tell mom and dad because we don't really understand. And they, she tells her parents and they're like, oh my goodness. Like we had no idea. We didn't realize because she had been keeping it a secret from forever. And so up until yeah. then, they just thought it was a casual every few years she was kidnapped. But nothing yeah, yeah, worse yeah. than that. Because, you know, everybody's Again, got a kid that gets kidnapped. Us. Right. Exactly. Right, right, right. By a man we continue to be 70s. friends with. Sure. <laughs> it was a crazy time. Crazy time. So um, on October 30th, Mary Ann, October 30th, 2003, Mary Ann publishes her book called Stolen Innocence, the Jan Broberg story. Wow. So Jan's mom writes this book about Jan's story and gets it published and um, Jan helped her write it. So they like go on this book tour. And in March of 2004, B shows up at this book tour and he assaults one of the security guards and they arrest him. And um, Jan is like, this is nuts. She gets a restraining order and um, the he, uh, B is like fighting the restraining order. He's like, all of this is crazy. Like, can't you see this? This lady's nuts. She's talking about aliens. Like, there's no such thing as aliens. What is that? But the judge believes Jan and grants her the restraining order for the rest of his life, which is like super unheard of. Usually it's like five years and then we'll reassess. Right. But the judge is like, no, this guy can never be near you ever again. And then, um, on November 11th, 2005, Bob was found guilty of the assault. And he was like, jail is going to kill me. So he kills himself instead. Oh, my gosh. And Jan is now married. She has a son. And she's an actress. She's like in a few things. Really? That, like I've heard of. Yeah. Wow. I should have written them down. Well, those weren't the important details yeah. of this story. Yeah. It has been a minute since I've watched that documentary. Yeah. And I forgot that that's even crazier than I remember. I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I watched that with Katie and I remember like with each subsequent kidnapping, just looking at her and being like, is, no, this can't no. be a real thing. Yeah. Like I remember thinking, like I Googled it too. Thinking, yeah. This is just a really badly made. Yeah. Like Doc- m- mockumentary. Like, mockumentary. And it's legit. It's real. Wow. I know. Had you not That's seen nice. that documentary before you wrote the story? No, I had. Oh, you had. Okay. Yeah. You were like, but this is a good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wowza. Would I recommend know. Netflix. Yeah, I, the documentary does a much better story than I do. No, you did a great job. I've had like one sip of this drink <laughs> and feel like I'm slurring all my words. So I really hope that that was easy to follow. If not, watch Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix. No, it was great. And while this won't re- be released until after the holidays, it might be a good film to watch around the holidays if you're like, my family's a mess. Yeah. Because I this promise it's not as, as messy. And. And, like, Jan's family, actually, from what I recall from the interviews, yeah. seem like incredibly lovely, like, salt-of-the-earth yeah. people who just happen to, like, fall prey. Exactly. Like, they seem like they genuinely love their exactly. family. They weren't negligent. Like, they were doing the... Yeah. They just fell under some kind of spell. Totally. He's, like, such a great sociopath. Right. He's so manipulative. Right. I mean, he got Mary Ann to have an affair with him After. first, yeah. then kidnapped her daughter, said he wanted to marry her daughter... And then had an affair with her again. Yeah, yeah. And they're still mar- like they're still married. Jan's parents and they seem yeah. like yeah, it's yeah, it's bananas. I know. Woo. Well, I'm gonna let you sober up a little bit. Uh, uh, I'm gonna keep drinking. Oh, I mean, like keep drinking. You should add some ice because it's cocktail. very delicious. It's, it is delicious. But the ice, the ice helps. Yeah. Mm, I liked it. it was sh- sugary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
this, uh, as a preface, this story I'm about to tell you involves a French name that I will not be able to pronounce correctly. The week my parents sent me to French camp in Bemidji, Minnesota, clearly did not Bemidji. pay off. In the third grade, my best friend, Erica Landis, moved to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And so that summer, she invited me to go to French camp with her. And my dad is from Minnesota and, like, has business out there. And so it, like, made sense. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated every minute of French camp um, because they wouldn't, it was immersion camp, so they wouldn't speak English to you at all. And I was 10 and didn't speak any French. Also, I got, like, super, super homework, homesick every night. And it was yeah. like I was being busted out of prison when my dad came. Like, I remember trying to learn in French, like, can I pay you to call my father? But um, <laughs> it didn't work. Anyway, shout Did, out. Did, like, all the other kids there speak French? No. Like, it was actually, from what I recall, it was a very impressive, like, campus. Like, Bemidji, Minnesota is way northern Minnesota. And it's, like, middle of nowhere, like, basically Canada. And they have, like, these language villages. And so the idea is very cool that, like, there were kids of all ages there. And you were like immersed in French culture, French food, French language. It would have been cool had I had any French language yeah. skills. Um, and like the neighboring camps were like Spanish camp and mm-hmm. Italian camp and whatnot. But it was also I was like 10 and from Oregon and thought that mosquito spray was like a suggestion. <laughs> um, and it is for sure not in no, the northernmost yeah. parts of Minnesota where the mosquito is the state bird. Um so anyway, <laughs> la la la. This is anyways French. So I'm gonna say this name, full name once, and then I'm just gonna re- refer to them by like one of the names oh, okay. to identify okay, them because okay. I legit can't say it. So, um, this is the story of the Dupont de Ligones family. Sure, sure, whatever. I'm just gonna call them the Duponts okay. because I can't say that last part. So Xavier Dupont and his wife. Agnes lived in Nantes, a French city outside of Paris at the mouth of the River Loire that attracted many families looking to get out of the big city uh, because of its small town charm. It was like a, a thriving city, um, like picturesque. The economy was thriving, beautiful homes. Um, and they, so Xavier and Agnes have four children who in 2001, at the time of our story, uh, were Arthur, age 20, Thomas, 18, Anne, 16, and Benoit, 13. So Anne and Benoit were both still in school um, and lived with their parents. I think Ar- Thomas did it as well. Actually, I'm not sure about Arthur and Thomas, but they lived nearby at least or like often saw their family. So by all accounts, um, uh, the DuPont family, who on Xavier's side of the family can be traced back to French aristocrats, mm. lived a picture-perfect life in the French countryside. They lived in a beautiful townhouse and owned three cars. Um, their two younger children attended a Catholic school, and Benoit, the 13-year-old son, was a choir boy at the church where Agnes taught catechism, and she also worked at the school. So in backing up just a scotch, in December of 2010, Xavier began regularly attending a shooting club outside of the city where they lived, where he told the club's owner that he wanted to learn to use the rifle, the 22 rifle he had inherited from his father when his father passed away. Oh, burpee from this drink. Sorry. Uh, every single drink we've had has we made you so burpee. burpee. <laughs> yeah. What is my deal? Maybe it's because we like eat right before. Yeah. Who can say? Maybe. And so him going to the shooting range is not a secret to his family. He occasionally brought his son in the hopes that like his son would learn how to handle a gun. And like there was apparently like 
you could, like a restaurant at this shooting range and he brought his wife one day. So it was no secret that he was out learning to shoot this gun. This is like sounding so familiar and yeah. I can't tell if it's like I'm tipsy. So it's like a weird deja vu or if it's right. like. I have heard it. Keep going. Well, let's see. So then at the beginning of April, 2011, like six ish months, a little under six months since he's been learning to shoot. Um, Xavier goes to the shooting range four days in a row. Records, uh, his credit card records also show that in that same time frame, he bought a silencer as well as cleaning fluid, chalk lime, a spade and a two wheel trolley. Whoa. So on Sunday, uh, April 3rd, three of the children are at home and they go out with their parents to dinner and a movie together just in the town in Nantes. Um, It's a regular Sunday evening, you know, pretty standard. Then on Monday, April 4th, Anne, the 16-year-old daughter, and Benoit, the 13-year-old son, don't show up to school because they're sick or so that's what the school office was told their friends try to text them try and like message them on internet on the internet and don't get a reply on that day monday the 4th xavier speaks to his sister on the phone for nearly half an hour a conversation that she recalls as being completely normal like nothing weird about it Um, and that evening xavier and his second oldest son thomas are seen eating out at a restaurant together right so normal Mm -hmm. then on wednesday Arthur's girlfriend, Arthur, the 20-year-old, the oldest son, grows concerned because she hasn't heard from him in a while. And I think maybe Arthur lived at home because she goes over to the house and knocks on the door, doesn't get a response, and she notices that the family dogs, they had like two labs, didn't bark at the sound of her knocking. Oh, no. um, Which was strange to her. Yeah. So... Monday, on Monday, April 11th, right? This is like a full week after Anne and Benoit didn't show up to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their school receives a letter signed by Xavier saying that Anne and Benoit will be leaving the school and the family will be moving to Australia due to urgent professional changes. Hmm. The Catholic school where Agnes works or worked receives a resignation letter signed by Agnes stating the same reason for leaving. Uh, but the headmaster, upon getting this letter of resignation, is not able to get her on the phone to confirm yeah. this. So then also on, well, the letter is dated April 11th. A typed, unsigned letter dated April 11th is sent to Xavier's immediate family. And in this letter, Xavier, now the sources that I read all said there's, like they have not been able to confirm the authenticity of this letter. Okay. Um, I don't seem to see, you know, cause I'm a seasoned investigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any reason to doubt it, but everyone like made mention of that. So like his immediate family, like his siblings and parents? Yeah. Okay. So they get this letter saying um, that after he had been working covertly for the American Drug Enforcement Association or administration, the DEA, and the entire family had to relocate to the United States as part of a federal witness protection program. And that no one would be able to contact them for a few years. Mm. I didn't know the DEA was, I mean, honestly, the DEA could be active in France. I wouldn't know. Um, But, but I mean, who can say? Okay. Yeah. Um, And in the letter, he advises his relatives to circulate reports on social media that his family has in fact moved to Australia. So basically he's saying the cover story is that we're moving to Australia. That's what I told the kids at school, you know, like, circulate that story but like yeah. here's the deal i also am pretty sure the federal witness protection program doesn't let you write letters like this yeah, to your yeah. immediate family but um but i mean how would they 
alert your immediate family anyways. They don't. Like, I don't think you get, like, it's a need to know thing. Because the more people that know, if you're actually in witness protection, the more people that know where you are. Yeah, the, okay. That's yeah, like yeah, the whole point it. of it. Um, I think, you know, I'm also seasoned in participant in the federal yeah, yeah, witness exactly. protection program. Um, so we know from credit card records that Xavier spends the night in hotels the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th. And on Friday the 15th, Xavier checks out of the last hotel. Like he moves around to different hotels a couple of times. He checks out of the hotel on the morning of the 15th and leaves his car in the parking lot. So by Tuesday the 19th, an investigation is officially opened into the whereabouts of the family. As neighbors and friends have grown suspicious, Agnes's car has been parked in the same spot on the street all week. Like all the windows are closed. Like nobody's seen anyone coming Uh or going. There's some like conflicting reports about people who are like, I saw Agnes that Tuesday or I saw her Wednesday like at the market and different people say different things, but it had been a few days without any sightings whatsoever or reports of sightings. So on the day of the 19th, the day the investigation is opened, Investigators discover the remains of Agnes and the four children buried under the patio in the back garden of the house. Oh my gosh. Next to the family's two Labrador no. dogs who had also been killed and buried. The autopsy report uh, showed that they had been dead for around two weeks, placing the killings between April 3rd and 5th. So in those early days of them going missing or not being heard from. The report also shows, the autopsy shows that the victims were drugged and then shot with a twenty-two rifle as they slept. Uh, the same gun. What about the dogs? I couldn't tell you. I'm sorry. I don't know. Not the same gun as in like, we're, we're for sure. We were for sure like this was his gun that shot them, but it was the same type of gun. Got it. Xavier had a twenty-two, and it was a twenty-two that killed Agnes and her four children. So at this time, an international arrest warrant is issued to locate Xavier and a massive manhunt begins. And the last confirmed sighting there was of him was April 15th on CCTV as he checked out of that hotel and abandoned his car. Okay. So in her book, The Missing, journalist Anne-Sophie Martin prints an email sent by Xavier to two friends less than a year before his family's murders. In it, he discusses how deep they are in financial debt Mm. and talks about all of his professional failures, writing that, quote, a final decision is to be taken suicide alone or collective if it goes wrong i have only two solutions to f with my car or to fire the house when everyone sleeps p.s i am very serious lucid and under the grip of no drugs or alcohol end quote so over the course of this investigation and the manhunt another email surfaces that xavier wrote to his mistress who apparently he was having a, an affair it was a woman named Catherine, and in that email he writes to her I'm ruined at rock bottom like never before. I am awake almost every night with these morbid ideas. Burning down the house after giving everyone sleeping pills or killing myself so that Agnes gets 600,000 euros. In any case, my life will end in the next few months if I don't get 25,000 euros immediately. Most of the time, I am not in a dream but in a nightmare and I can't escape, of course, but by doing something radical and final. So, the question being... Did he murder his family mm-hmm. and Irish goodbye? Or did he murder his family and, and then, then leave? You would think, like, did he go commit suicide somewhere yeah. else? And there were se- several reports. There were a few times where people would find bodies or skeletons and they're like, it's him. it's him. And it never was him. Um, I feel like if you were going to do like a mass murder suicide, you just do it then and there. Yeah. But who knows? So 
that's the question, right? Did he murder them and leave or did he commit suicide? Well, on October 11th, 2019, barely over a month ago, a man was arrested at Glasgow Airport in Scotland after arriving on a flight from Paris. Following an alert, Interpol in London had informed the French authorities that a passenger who was booked on a Paris flight had entered details corresponding to a stolen French passport. Um, suspecting that the passport may have been used by Xavier, the French authorities planned to be at the gate at the Charles de Gaulle airport for the flight to intercept the passenger and verify his identity. Well, lols, the passenger makes a last minute change to his flight (gasps) and flies to Glasgow on Friday evening instead, which makes it too late for the French authorities to intercept him in in Paris. So they call the Scottish authorities and ask him to stop this man when he lands in Glasgow. So the passenger is immediately arrested by the Scottish police uh, who took his fingerprints and and called the French and they were like, this is your dude. We found him. We arrested him. We've got him. And the French media catches wind of this and loses their minds, yeah. right? So this is eight years after this crazy yeah. disappearance. Um, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Right? So, but the French have studied security footage of this passenger from the Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris. And they were like, I don't know that this is our dude. And their, their doubts only increase when the Scottish police refuse to send them the fingerprints, which what? I don't know. I don't know why they would refuse to do that, but. Eventually, they do a DNA test of this man. Yeah. And it was announced that the arrested man was not Xavier. Oh, no. But a 69-year-old Portuguese-born French (laughs) national who was traveling to visit his wife who lived in Scotland. Oh, my God. Uh, So the man was released without charges. Yeah. Sorry, my dude. And it has been over eight years, coming up on nine years since the disappearance, well, since the disappearance of Xavier and the murder of Agnes and her four children, Arthur, Thomas, Anne, and Benoit. What? And his whereabouts are still no. unknown. Boomtown. Oh, I love a good mystery. Right? I got really but excited. But I hate a bad family annihilator. Right. I got really excited when I thought that they had arrested him in Scotland. Yeah. Because I think he's, if I had to guess, he's still alive. Yeah. Or else he would have killed himself like with his family. Totally. He wouldn't have like hidden like their yeah. bodies and like given himself enough time to like get away. Yeah. By like emailing the schools and saying that, you know, we're yeah. going to America to be part of like witness protection. Like you don't do that kind of thing. He wouldn't do it separate. If you're about to kill yourself. Yeah. So that is the story of the Ugh. French family that I can't pronounce their name. It's a very special kind of sociopath who thinks I have gotten myself into debt, so I'm going to kill my family to spare them. Right. Like, no, kill yourself. Like, that's the part like I don't, that I don't recommend that either. Yeah. But if you're, if you have to, if Do you something. see that as your only way out, don't take your family down with you. Yeah. Yeah. You and I just realized. Hmm. Neither of us Googled questions to ask each other for details. I realized that in the middle of your story. So uh, let's uh, just... Um, let's see. Let's see. Come up with do, something. Do, 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 do. Detox questions. Detox. <clears throat> uh, hey, Emily. I have a yeah. question for you. Can I uh, ask? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> this is going to be again. We like Googled the same thing and it's going to come up. I haven't Googled anything. Oh, okay. I did. Um what incredibly common thing have you never <laughs> <I'm> done? <so> <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I 
<laughs> what an incredibly common thing have I never done? That's hard. Um, I've done it now, but I didn't learn how to like cut meat until like three years ago. <laughs> what do you mean? Like to eat it? Yeah. So like I... So uh, the, the the best way to do this is to show you how I used to cut meat and okay. you can go ahead and describe okay. it. Okay. All right. Emily's putting the microphone down and she's going to mime how she used to cut meat to me. So like fork in one hand. This is, this is my fork. That's your fork. Okay. This is, no, no, this way. I, I stab my food with my fork with my right hand and then try to saw it with my left hand. Okay. And then eat it. I feel like, I don't know, isn't that how you eat meat? No, you hold your fork like this, and you cut it like this, and then you eat it like this. Like, put the knife... Oh, you were stabbing, stabbing the meat, it. and then not using the fork no, to, I, I to then help you. Well, so I was. So this I is great like, podcasting material. This is my fork. Okay. I would stab it like this, uh-huh. cut, and then eat it. Okay. Instead of like... Putting the... Like this. Oh, I... Who was it, Ryan, who first pointed this out to you? Yeah. I feel like I might be eating meat the way you were <laughs> earlier. We might have to do it next. Is it just the way that white people eat meat? Maybe it is a white people thing. The next time we all have dinner together, we should eat meat and we should yeah. we should do a test because it's possible I've been doing it wrong this whole time too. That's good to know though. Yeah. Um, what about you, Sarah? What? Well, kind of in the same vein, like I've done it now, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, until I was 19 years old, I didn't know how to pump gas. Oh, yeah. Because I grew up from in Oregon, the great state of Oregon, where us where in New Jersey... You're not allowed to. It is illegal to pump your own gas, and there's a gas station attendant, and I was so scared the first few times I did it. Um, it's also really funny because like my 57-year-old mother doesn't know how to pump gas because yeah. she's lived in Oregon her whole life. And one time, she and I and my sister were driving to Seattle when my sister and I were small, and my mom had to get a total stranger at the gas station to... To show to, her? To, don't, to, to do to it. To do it? Yeah. Um, oh but yeah, I was, I was 19 years old before I did that, and I was so afraid of getting gas everywhere. And I field so many panic text messages from people visiting Oregon who are at gas stations. And they're like, yeah. do you tip the attendant? Oh, yes or no? You don't. That's not how that works. I don't know why you don't. But it's yeah. just not a thing that happens. Well, the first time that I went to Oregon and like saw this happening, because my cousins live there, of like going to the gas station with my aunt and uncle and they didn't get out of the car. It's kind of magical. Because if somebody comes up to you at the gas station here, it's because... That you're about to kill you. They're about to kill you. They're about to ask you for your liver, your kidney. <laughs> no, they're about to ask you for money. And I, you, you always have to be like, oh, no, sorry, I don't have any cash. Right. And then you have to pump your gas. So you're sitting there for about seven minutes while they're also sitting there. Yeah. So it's like there's just always this anxiety when somebody comes up to talk to you at the gas station. So if somebody's like, can I pump your gas for you? You're like, go away. This is a gas station. You don't talk to people. See, when I first started driving, I always used to go to the gas station where the cute attendants worked. Mm. So I'd be like, fill it up regular, please. Um but yeah, that's uh, an incredibly common thing yeah. that I didn't learn how to do until far too late. But now I'm a big girl and I drive yeah. on freeways and everything. Nice. Yeah. Real freeways. Real freeways. California baptism by fire freeways. Oh my God. Well, this has been, I honestly, I feel the tension in my shoulders from both of these stories. Uh, 
but th- I feel like that means it was a success. Yeah. So um, this All has right. been great, Emily. Yeah. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.